The text reads like this. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his works and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears the cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love them, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, with a passage so rich, we need your help to hear it as we ought, to receive it as it was intended to be received, and to apply it in our lives. We pray, Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would grant to us then ears to hear, hearts to receive, and the will to obey all that we're about to hear from your most holy word. And Father, as we do, we pray that we would be those responding in praise and in worship and in adoration for all that you are, for all that you have done for us. And Lord, all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2018, 12 boys 
and their football coach wandered into a cave in Thailand. They hadn't been in the cave for long when it began to rain, and it rained so heavily that in the end, 1.6 miles of water separated the boys from the outside world. The Thai Navy got involved, as did 100 divers, dozens of rescue workers, representatives from around 100 government agencies, 900 police officers, 2,000 soldiers, and more than 1 billion liters of water was pumped out of the cave. The result of all of those heroic efforts was the water level going down by one centimeter and the boys remaining very, very hungry. British divers John Volaton and Rick Stanton from the British Cave Rescue Council were flown in. Did any of you know that such a council actually existed? And thanks to their expertise, thanks to their abilities, the boys were found and were fed. It took nine days for the boys to be discovered and 14 days in total for them to be returned to their families. Volaton and Stanton's abilities met a need that no one else could meet. Well, we celebrate Harvest today to thank God for his ability to meet our needs in a way that only God could. Thanking God for his ability to provide food for the entire world. What an operation. And without God's power and without God's ability to provide for all of the 9 billion or so people in the world, we would be like those boys doomed in a cave cut off from the outside world. And so it's right that we press pause in our series in the book of Acts today to look at Psalm 145 because when taken as a whole, the point is this, God's deeds reveal God's greatness. God's deeds reveal God's greatness. The the deeds in particular that David had in mind were God's deeds of provision, as we'll see, whether spiritual or whether material. All of them, though, revealing the greatness of God. And so my hope and prayer for the message today is that our eyes would be open, not only to how well provided for we are, but to how great the God is who provides for us and meets our every need. You remember in John chapter 6, Jesus fed 5,000 hungry men. It was likely up to 20,000 when you factor in the women and the children as well. And we read that the crowds received the bread gladly. But then we read this, perceiving then that the that they, the crowds, were about to come and take him, Jesus, by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Why in the world would Jesus want to withdraw from a crowd who wanted to make him their king? 
Well, after the crowds had tracked Jesus down, we read that they asked him this, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus is saying, for you, the bread was an end in and of itself. The bread wasn't a pointer to my identity and to who I am as your provider. The bread that perishes was enough, divorced and separated from me. So that in the end of the narrative, only 12 are left by Jesus' side. Friends, if we would be those who stick by Jesus' side with the 12, we have to view God's provision as more than the bread that perishes, but instead a pointer to the giver of all that we have. A signpost, if you will. A finger pointing to the heavens, telling us this is how great your God really is. And so in Psalm 145, we're going to see today, number one, the praise for God's deeds. Number two, the character behind God's deeds. And thirdly, the instances of God's deeds. So number one, the praise for God's deeds. Friends, look, look once again at verses 1 to 7 of Psalm 145. It, David writes, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another. And shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty. And on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. And I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. And shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Now, if, if you had written Psalm 145, if I had written Psalm 145, then we probably would have ended with this praise. We might have started with the examples of God's provision. God did this. God did this. God provided this. And then we might have ended with responding in praise for all that God provided. But evidently, David had been meditating on God's deeds. So he unleashes praise right from the get-go of the psalm. And he writes, I will extol you, my God and King. Extol meaning to tell how great God is. I will bless your name forever and ever. Bless their meaning to speak well of God for his generosity. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Praise meaning to glorify God on account of his magnificent qualities. And then he speaks of the coming generations commending God's works. Declaring his mighty acts. His wondrous works themselves. Speaking of God's deeds and pouring forth the fame of God's abundant goodness. Singing aloud of God's 
righteousness. David centers the attention right where it has to be on God and on God's great deeds. Now, David is going to share specifics toward the end of the psalm. He's going to share instances of God's deeds that caused him to just explode in praise as he does right at the outset of the psalm. And we'll get to them. But before we do, friends, I want to convince us all of something. And what I need to convince us all of today is that this kind of exuberant, extravagant worship of God really is the path of life for us human beings. Why do I say that? I say that because we all come into the world naturally believing that that life is found in others praising us. Others recognizing what we have done. Others noticing us. Others thanking us and adoring us for our deeds, for our works, for our service. But the reality is self-glory is the pathway to self-destruction. Why is that true? It's true because we cannot bear up under the weight of worship. It is too much pressure For fallen human beings, for sinful men and women like me and like you to stand up under. Worship doesn't belong to us. But God can bear up under the weight of our worship because he is always worthy of praise. Always. Praise befits him. Praise belongs to To him, praise is owing to him and it has never been misplaced in all of eternity past and it will never be misplaced when it's given to God throughout all of eternity future. And therefore, in praising God, there is life and health and peace because it is fitting when it is given to him. Let me give you an illustration. This year, on the 14th of July, uh, Gloria and I, we we celebrated our 10-year anniversary. I know I look like I'm 12 years old, but really we did. 10 whole years. And I planned a number of things, but the thing that I bought Gloria was uh, a new ring. It it sparkled in the jewelers, jewelers, so I thought it looked good. I'm not a spender. I'm definitely a saver. But that voice came into my head, Hugh, now is not the time to be cheap. You can't mess this up. This is your 10-year anniversary just by, by the ring. And it was a beautiful ring. Imagine if I took the ring home, looked at it, and thought to myself, do you know, there's two two weeks until our anniversary. This is a, this is a gorgeous, I, I'm going to wear the ring for, for two weeks. And I showed up to church wearing a girl's ring. It would look hideous, not because the ring is hideous, but because it could never suit me. It's not for me. It could never look good on me. It's for her. And on her, it looks just right. Gloria's dying in her seat right now. 
Friends, worship doesn't suit us. Worship is hideous on us because it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. It's not that we never say, well done, I'm proud of you to our kids. But worship suits God because only God is worthy of worship. So in joining David, in extolling God, blessing God, praising God, commending God, meditating on the wondrous splendor of God's majesty, pouring forth the fame of the abundant goodness of God, that is where joy is found. That is where life is found because it is always fitting on God. It always suits God. It always looks right on God. Man's praise is founded on a mirage but God's praise is founded on reality and so to those of you believers can I make this very practical recommendation for us with all the love in my heart please do not be someone who rolls out of bed at 9 30 on a Sunday wanders into church barely caffeinated, hoping and expecting to get something out of worship. Instead, meditate, reflect, bathe your soul in all of God's work to you in Jesus Christ so that by the time you come to church, you're beginning, like David begins in Psalm 145, unleashing praise, rendering praise to the heavens right from the opening of our time together. Get your soul prepared as early as you can so that we're giving praise to God as soon as we meet together to praise and worship. Extolling God, blessing God, praising God, commending Him, declaring Him, speaking the praise of God. And to those unbelievers among us today, friends, Allow me to address you for a moment. Please do not think that in becoming a Christian, you are signing up for a lesser life spent worshiping God, no longer making much of yourself. When you get saved, as one preacher put it, worship is no longer something you have to do. It's something that you get to do. It is a joy because you recognize how fitting it is. You see the worth of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ and it is a delight to extol him, to praise him, to bless him, to commend him for all that he is and for all that he's done in Jesus. Do you get the impression reading Psalm 145 verses 1 to 7 that David was miserable as he was exploding in praise? No, he was on top of the world. Why? Because he knew his God and he knew how worthy of praise God was and still is. Well, I want us to look second at the character behind God's deeds. Look at verse 8 with me again. It says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. 
to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. What's behind God's wondrous works? What is behind God's awesome deeds? Well, the Lord's character, his personality, which is what? Gracious, merciful, patient, and abounding in steadfast love. Gracious, that is actively favoring undeserving and ill-deserving men and women from ble- with blessings from above. Merciful, that is withholding what undeserving, ill-deserving sinners deserve. Slow to anger, that is patient, long-suffering, forbearing, abounding in steadfast love. That is uh, steadfast love bubbling up from the heart of God, spilling onto the created order and filling up the hearts of his people. And from that heart, the psalmist says, from that character, the psalmist says, from that personality, the psalmist says, God is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. He's good to those who take the worship that belongs to God and gives it to false gods who are either demons in hell or who have no existence at all. He's good to those who bow down to statues who who have mouths but do not speak, who have eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear, who have noses but do not smell. God is good to those who would rather be anywhere else in the world rather than under the sound of God's word and under the sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is good to those who slag off their mom and dad. He is good to those who hate in their hearts and therefore are guilty of murder according to Jesus' standards. He is good to those who commit adultery year after year, either with an electronic prostitute on their phone or in person with another image bearer of God. He is good to those who steal from their employers. He's good to those who swear on a Bible in a courtroom and then commit perjury without any fear at all. He is good to those who spend all of their lives wanting what they do not have and craving what they do not need. And friends, here is where we see The greatness of God, not only in what he does, but from the heart that all of his gracious dealings flow. The heart behind his provision, the source of all of his gifts. You remember in one of the opening scenes of of Les Mis, Jean Vaugin is a fugitive from the law. He steals from a priest who risked his life or at least his reputation in housing him. And he's arrested. He's returned to the priest to return everything that he stole. And the priest said, ah, you forgot the silver candlesticks. Now, using two hands to pick up two candlesticks 
and put them in someone else's hand is really no impressive feat. But in that moment, it was awesome. Why? Because it was a deed that flowed from a gracious heart and from a merciful heart and from a patient heart and from a loving heart. The heart made the action what it really was. And friends, this is why we see the greatness of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. Because behind every act, behind every deed, behind every work of redemption was God's gracious heart. God's merciful heart. God's patient heart. God's loving heart. From his gracious heart, Jesus left heaven from earth. From his merciful heart, Jesus endured from sinners such hostility. And from his patient heart, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. And from Jesus' loving heart, he endured the wrath of God against our sin and against sinners like me and like you. So that now, all that there is left for us to do is extol God and bless God and praise God and commend God and declare God's mighty acts and pour forth the fame of his abundant goodness and sing aloud of his righteousness. The heart that propelled the works of redemption is the heart to which all of our praise is owed. It came to us from the heart of God and it is returned to the heart of God in praise and worship. So if you're here today and you're not yet a believer, please can I ask you, will you go on opening your mouth to receive God's provision, but never opening your mouth to declare his praise and his honor and glory and worship? Never praise him for what you have, And never praise him for why you have it. His heart towards you. And will you resist that gracious, merciful, patient, loving heart. That urges you. That compels you. To believe on his son. The Lord Jesus Christ. For the great provision of his redemption. Friend, how could you do otherwise? Instead, I would call on you on the authority of God's word to give your heart to him now and in this moment and in this place for his everlasting praise and for your everlasting joy. Well, lastly, I want us to see the instances of God's deeds. Uh, Friends, look at verse 13. David writes, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. 
the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will sing the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So having seen the praise for God's deeds, having seen the character behind God's deeds, we end with the instances of God's deeds. That is the deeds that David had in mind when he was inspired of the Holy Spirit to write this infallible song or hymn of praise. And the common thread that runs throughout the six examples that David writes of is God meeting human needs. He says, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Like in Psalm 107, when the psalmist writes, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. Have you ever been there in life? Prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So God bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. The eyes of all look to you, David writes, and you give them their food in due season. Like when the Israelites were all out of food, all out of resources, and God just rained bread down from heaven. You open your hand, David says. You satisfy the desire of every living thing, like when Jesus fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6, and when Jesus fed the 4,000 in Matthew chapter 15. And the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Like when David wrote, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And friends, why do all such instances of God's deeds Reveal God's greatness. Because they make the statement loud and clear. There is no lack in God. There is no lack in God. There is no need that God cannot meet. There is no problem that God cannot solve. There is no disaster that God cannot remedy. There is no loss that God cannot restore. There is no soul that God cannot revive. He is never preoccupied meeting his own needs because he is marvelously sufficient by virtue of his own being. And his greatness is most clearly seen 
in the provision of himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what matchless condescension the eternal God displays, claiming our supreme attention to his boundless works and ways. His own glory, his own glory, he reveals in gospel days. In the person of the Savior, all his majesty is seen. Love and justice shine forever and without a veil between. We approach him, we approach him and rejoice in his dear name. Would we view his highest glory? Here it shines in Jesus' face. Sing and tell the pleasing story, O you sinners, saved by grace. And with pleasure, and with pleasure, bid the guilty him embrace. God's deeds reveal God's greatness. Amen, church. Why don't we stand and give to him the praise that he deserves for not only what he has given to us, but the heart that provided it and the greatness that is so clearly his. Let's stand and worship together.